place in the sun. As Roger said, Stevie Wonder released that song back in 1966, almost 56 years ago. But I have a theory. And my theory is that the hope, the, the longing that he gave voice to in that song predates 1966 by like a lot. And that same soul deep desire will actually outlive every single one of us. It's, it's part of the human condition to want to have a place in the sun, to know that you belong, to understand who you are and where you fit in this world. And so that's why today we are kicking off this teaching series called Identity. Identity. It's one of the most significant teaching series we have ever embarked on as a church. I would suggest to you, without hopefully overstating my case, that what you and I are going to engage in over the next few weeks may be the most important series that we will ever, ever embark upon. And I mean that with everything that I have. You would be hard-pressed to find a topic more significant, more prevalent, prevalent yet misunderstood, more relevant yet misappropriated than the subject of identity. Identity, who God made you to be, who he made me to be, and getting at this and understanding what it looks like. The stakes could not be higher for this subject matter. I think this is true for all of us, but I think it's especially true for those who may be, let's say, a couple of years younger than I am, if you're in that millennial, Gen Z demographic cohort, man, this is so, so critical for you. I, I think so many times about the world that you have come of age in, and I think what an amazing job you are doing in figuring out your identity and your place in the sun and where you belong amidst everything that you have to deal with. If if all you had had to weather was the tsunami of social media, that would have been enough. But I think about adding to that social upheaval. I think about political enmity and hate that gets spewed in our country. I think about the, the absolute sea change of sexuality, significance, and identity that has happened in the blink of an eye in our world, and for you especially, I think this is a critical, critical understanding to cultivate and to develop. I think it is so important that you understand just who it is God has created you to be, and as importantly, who he is calling you to be. This is an amazing opportunity that's in front of us. And I think it's really important that we understand just how critical this is, because what we want to get at over the next few weeks is, is an understanding of who God is, who we are in relationship to God, but also in relationship to each other, that we come to an awareness. Because the reality is, it doesn't have to be as chaotic as our world makes it. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that God is a God of peace, not of disorder, not of chaos. Satan is the one who cultivates chaos and, and spreads deception. But it is God who calls us to freedom, who calls us to order, who calls us to peace. And, and it's that 
order, that peace, that, that hope that we talked about last week at Easter that is at the heart of the identity he gave you when he formed you in your mother's womb. It's that identity that he's called you to. And, and it's that identity that helps us fight off what we would call low self-awareness. You know, psychologists of an earlier era, Freudian psychologists, would have used the word ego to describe a sense of self. Not necessarily good or bad, just a sense of self. And obviously, you can have an inflated ego, you can have a, an inferiority complex, but the reality is what we're after is, is an accurate reading of who we are, who God says we are. The best way to have a healthy self-esteem is to believe what God says about who you are and to stave off low self-awareness with high God awareness. That's what we're after. Low self-awareness can be a dangerous, dangerous thing. You know, back in the mid-1980s, the city of Houston was a hotbed of absolute all-world basketball talent. If you went back to Houston in the mid-80s, you, you had names that are now in the Hall of Fame that were just all right there. You had Moses Malone, John Lucas, Ralph Sampson, Hakeem Olajuwon, and, and that was just at the NBA level, at the college level. Houston was home to the world's tallest fraternity, Phi Slamma Jamma. You, you, I don't know how many of y'all remember Phi Slamma Jamma. Remember Clyde the Glide Drexler, Super Rob Williams, Benny Anders, Cadillac Anderson. These guys were nuts, talented. They went to three straight Final Fours and never won. But they were an incredibly, incredibly talented group of players. Now, in the summer in Houston, all of the professional and college basketball players congregated at a public park called Fondy Rec Center. Fondy Rec Center was kind of the epicenter. It was kind of like Rucker Park in New York. It was the epicenter of basketball talent. Everybody who was somebody played at Fondy. And one year when I was in college, the city of Houston decided to close Fondy for a year and renovate the recreation center. They said, you know what? It's the 80s. Let's go ahead and put air conditioning in there. So they closed Fondy for a year. And it just so happened that that year, my home church had just opened a state-of-the-art family life center. And in this family life center were two full-court NBA-caliber basketball courts. And so when Fondy got shut down, all of the NBA and college talent in Houston came to our church every afternoon in the summer, about 2 or 3 o'clock, to play pickup basketball. The parking lot looked like a Mercedes Rolls-Royce dealership. <laughs> now, I told you that to tell you this, and I, I don't think I've ever told anybody this. I may not have even told my wife, Julie, this. I remember walking into the gym to watch these guys play, and, and I mean, they were unbelievable big, strong, fast, a little bit mean, some of them. And very, very privately, in my heart of hearts, silently to myself, I said this. You know, I played a little high school ball. <laughs> maybe, just maybe, I could sneak onto the court. I'm not saying I'm going to score 20, but maybe I could play with these guys. Now, there's low self-awareness, and then there's delusional. If you took all of the talent God had given to me and all of the, the skills that I had developed and cultivated over the years, it's questionable whether I should have even been allowed in the gym to watch these guys, much less play with them. 
Fortunately, however, self-awareness is a skill that we can develop and we can cultivate and we can grow in. I never asked to play, fortunately, and I've never been embarrassed by that desire in my heart until this moment, which I shared with you, and as family, we'll just keep it right here, okay? But self-awareness, a, a sense of who God has created you to be, who he's created me to be, that's what we're after. And throughout this series, we're going to use the lens of the life of Moses as our vehicle for identity. Moses is one of the most fascinating characters in the entire Bible. We, of course, know Moses as a pillar of the faith. He is the one who God used to lead Israel out of Egyptian slavery after more than 400 years. We know that, that God gave Moses dictation on Mount Sinai when he copied down the Ten Commandments. We know that Moses led Israel through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness to the very brink of their destiny of entering the promised land that God had sworn to Abraham centuries before. And yet, Moses had an identity problem. Moses struggled with his self-worth, his self-image, literally his entire life. And the narrative of Moses at the very beginning gives us a great jumping off point for this series. If you've got your Bibles, look at Exodus chapter number three. In Exodus chapter three, God is appearing to Moses at the burning bush. He's calling him into his service to lead Israel out of Egypt, to confront Pharaoh, to command the most powerful person on the planet to let his people go. And he's calling Moses. And in this exchange, we see the beginnings of Moses' identity crisis. Look at what he says. God starts in verse nine. He says, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God. Can we just take a time out there for just a second? Let, take that take, 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 down for a second. I love the Bible. I love that the Bible includes this. If I had been writing the Bible, I would not have included that Moses protested to God. Because I don't recommend that you do that, but the fact that the Bible includes this tells us it's okay. It's okay to respectfully argue with God, to remember that he is God and I am not, but to, but to wrestle with it. The name Israel, the name that God gave his chosen people means to wrestle, to struggle with God. Isn't that amazing? And Moses is here Israeling with God. Okay, back to verse 11. But Moses protested to God, who am I? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? God, you surely have got the wrong guy. Who am I? And, and again, I, I think if you go back to what Stevie Wonder said, th this, is, this is the cry of every heart that has ever walked the planet. To understand that God has created you with an identity, with a soul singled out amongst all the world. 
that God in his sovereignty decided this world needed a you. That every single one of us has value before God, that we are created by God, that every single one of us, man, we are something. We are, we are someone. Turn to your neighbor right now and tell him like you mean it. You are something. Now, depending on the morning that you might have had with that person, that could take on a number of different meanings. <laughs> but if you look at the life of Moses, you understand why he would ask God this question. Who am I? Who am I? Let me just give you a quick rundown, a quick biographical sketch of Moses, just, just to understand why Moses would ask this question. Number one, we know that Moses was born a slave. He was born into slavery. His people had over four centuries of slave mentality ingrained into who they were, into their very existence. You want to talk about family traditions? You want to talk about dysfunction just repeating itself year after year, century after century? He was born a slave. Number two, he was an orphan. Moses was born into a time when Pharaoh began commanding that every Israelite male child should be killed at birth. And so his mother took him in and hid him in a basket amongst the reeds of the Nile River. So not only was he born a slave, he was born an orphan. And yet, and yet, the person who found Moses there in that basket in the reeds was the only person on the planet who could have changed the mind of Pharaoh. The Bible says that Moses just so happened to be hidden in a basket in the river where Pharaoh's daughter just so happened to bathe every day. And, and while she bathed there in the river, she found this baby amongst the reeds and she picked him up. <gasps> and she went home and said, Daddy, 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 can we keep him? <laughs> and so Moses was raised with a royal education. All of a sudden, his life called by God, took on a completely different perspective. All of a sudden, he's being raised in the palace, and he's given this royal education. He learns palace protocols, which would come in very handy later on. We know also that he was a poor communicator. Here in Exodus 3, when God called him to lead Israel, he goes, I, 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 don't, I don't talk so good. And God didn't argue with him. He said, I know you don't. I'm going to give you your brother Aaron to be your voice box, but go. God, God said, like, you know what, Moses, as a matter of fact, you're not a great communicator. Like he said to me, Mac, you know what, you're not a great basketball player. Don't ask to play. And that's okay. There were other things that God wanted to use. He was a poor communicator. We also know he was quick-tempered. Moses had a temper. It's already been revealed here before the calling at the burning bush, but it's something that plays out over and over and over again throughout his life. We know that because Moses encountered God at the burning bush in Exodus 3 after fleeing Egypt. He had murdered an Egyptian slave master in a fit of anger. And because he was a wanted man, he fled Egypt. Now, think about that for a second. On most of us, on our worst day, we've never, most of us, killed anybody, hopefully. And yet, God says, Moses, I want you. So, He's quick-tempered, he's a murderer, he's a fugitive from justice. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us he was working for the only person on the planet that would hire him, his father-in-law. He was, he was tending his father-in-law's herds. His father-in-law was Jethro. 
come and listen to him, a story about a man named Mo. He was working, and the Bible says that he was working on the back side of the desert. So, so picture a desert, a wasteland. Moses was working on the rump of the wasteland. He was, he was, he was working, interestingly enough, as a shepherd. The, the person that God would use to shepherd his people out of Egypt and through the wilderness for 40 years had experience. So you look at this biographical sketch of Moses and you go, you know what? I understand why he said, who am I? I understand how he got there. You see, it's important to understand where we don't get our identity. It's important to understand who you're not on the way to who you are. And just real quickly, I want to I give you these four things to keep in mind. Who you're not. Number one, what other people say. You are not what other people say about you. Now, hopefully, our families of origin, our closest friends help us to discover and embody our identity. But a lot of times, we, we hear people speaking on the soundtrack of our minds from way back in the past who are telling us lies. You'll never amount to. You're just like your mother. And those things take root. You are not what other people say about you. You're not just what you produce. If you think all of your identity, all of your self-worth is tied up in what you produce, how much money you make, what kind of house you live in, you are missing the mark by a mile. You're not what other people say. You're not what you produce. You're not defined by your circumstances. You are not defined by your circumstances. Moses was born a slave, became an orphan within hours of being born. Those are some pretty challenging circumstances. And yet they didn't define who he was and what God wanted to do with him. And then I, I can't say this one more strongly. You are not, say not. not. You are not defined by your past. You're not defined by your past. And I know, I know that Someone is thinking, and maybe even subconsciously, not even aware, thinking, but you don't know my past. I know you probably haven't killed anybody. And by the way, if you have, Moses is a great example that God can still use you. I think a lot of times we, we restrict, we constrict the flow of God's grace into and out of our lives because of things that we've done in our past, things that we've been through, things that we've experienced, things that we've done, God said, no, 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 no. That, that, that's, that's not who you are. It may be something you did. It may be even a season of things you did. But that doesn't define who you are. As a matter of fact, God says you are custom made. You, you are custom made. It's as if God were a, a, a custom suit maker. He has decided exactly who you should be. God took into account everything that would make up you and created you. He thought about where you would live. He thought about when you would live. Anybody have, has anybody thought over the last two, three years or so, what are we doing in the world. Has anybody had that thought? Okay, I'm glad I'm not alone. I decided to kind of flip that just for myself because I, I definitely had that thought. And I decided to flip that and say, 
to myself in my prayer life. What a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. To be called by God, created by God, used by God in this world, in this place, and in this time. What an amazing thing. God knew exactly, God knew when he made you, God knew when he made me that we would live to see a global pandemic and he would use us as his agents for peace and kindness and progress. What a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. God knew that when he made you. He knew that when he made me and we are custom made I want to just mention to you a few things about this custom-made thing, and we're going to go through this fairly quickly. I'm going to put some Bible references with it to kind of show you a little bit of of where we're going and where these things come from through the narrative of Moses' life. Number one, we've already said, you're created by God. You are created by God. Number two, you are prepared by God. You are even now being prepared by God for what he wants to do in your life and through your life next. Man, anybody else feel a little bit um, victorious because we have made it through that global pandemic? Remember, I'm like, we made it. Well, guess what? God's gonna use that experience for something else coming up. I don't know what it is. But he's gonna take what he has built into our lives through this for what he will do through us. Think about being prepared by God. You think about your personality, your natural bent, your parents. Who were your parents? Your past, your performance, all of those things, good, bad, and ugly, in God's economy get used for his glory and our good. So it's, it's all good. He's preparing us. Number three, we're called by God. We are called by God. We're corrected by God. Sometimes God needs to kind of go, hey, Mac, back on the path. Remember the 23rd Psalm? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. They they direct me. They keep me on the path. Also, you're resourced by God. You are resourced by God. You have everything in your grasp right now to take the next step of faithfulness with God. And then finally, you're empowered by God. When you understand who God has created you to be, who he's called you to be, you have the power of God. What we read last week, this same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us all. Moses would find this out over and over and over again throughout his life. That's that's what it means to be custom made by God. Custom made. You know, my whole life, I've been a I've been a boot guy. Um, my my grandfather wore boots, my dad wore boots. I remember, I think the first pair of boots that I ever owned or remember owning was a pair that had belonged to my grandfather. When I was in the fifth grade, my foot matched his. And uh my grandfather, we call him Big Mac. He was five foot six in his cowboy boots. And uh, I got a pair of his old Nakona boots. Those were my first pair of boots. And then, you know, when I was in high school, middle school and high school, Urban Cowboy 
assaulted the city of Houston, and we all started wearing boots and Wranglers, and that was kind of what we did through college and everything. Well, fast forward. Just before our daughter Emily was born, I was about 27 years old, 28 years old, and I bought my first pair of grown-up boots that I paid for. I bought these ropers, because back in the 80s, that's, back in the 90s, that's what you, you, you bought, ropers. And, and I, I love these boots. You, you can tell, I, I, after 27 years, I have gotten my money's worth out of these boots. They've been resold multiple times. Look, they, they still just, oh, that's like butter. That is unbelievable. I, I love these boots. I, I can't, I'll, I'll never throw them away. I love them. They're, they're great boots. I'm not going to tuck them in right now because I'm going somewhere with this. Well, I, I love these boots, by the way. I love them. And then they are. You saw how my foot just slid right in. Well, I remember back in college, I got really into the singer-songwriter thing, and I remember a song that Jerry Jeff Walker wrote called Charlie Dunn. He wrote a song about a guy here in Austin named Charlie Dunn who was a custom boot maker. He worked in Capital Saddlery down on Lavaca for years and years and years. And <clears throat> back in the day, 90s, I Googled Charlie Dunn. And when I say I Googled him, I mean I looked him up in the phone book. <laughs> and I found that Charlie had passed the bootmaking torch to his apprentice, a guy by the name of Lee Miller. And so Jill and I were living in Dallas. We were in San Antonio on vacation. We just decided to stop back at that shop and just take a look around. We went in and met Lee and his wife, Carlin, two of the nicest people I have ever met in my life. It's one of the most fascinating places you could ever go. Lee, along with Charlie, they have made boots for anybody and everybody. They have got the, the lasts that they form the boot around, and they've got names of people that they've made them for, like Willie Nelson, Peter Fonda, Emmylou Harris, Lyle Lovett. I mean, just on and on and on. And it's really, really a cool thing. Well, we met Lee and Carlin that day and said, hi, thank you for, you know, showing us around the shop and take care. We're going back to Dallas. Well, fast forward, Lake Hills Church is turning 10 years old. This would have been in 2007. And I thought, you know what? I want to commemorate the fact that we survived. I want to commemorate the fact that Lake Hills Church is 10 years old. So I called Lee and asked him if he would make me a pair of boots for the church's 10-year anniversary. Well, these are those boots. You see, you got the church logo on them. Ooh, never get to see that over the jeans, do you? Well, I was so excited. I went and Lee measured my foot. He took measurements on my foot I never even knew existed. Had me stand on a piece of paper on top of an ink pad so he could see where I put the weight on my foot. Measured the foot. Took like 30 minutes wow. He goes, right now, for new customers, we're running about a year wait. Like a year. Well, finally, Lee's wife, Carlin, called me, and she said, Mac, your boots are ready. I was giddy. I was beside myself. So I went down to their shop. I wore those boots down there, actually. Go down there. Lee brings in the boots, and they're pristine, brand spanking new. Nothing no scuffed on the bottom of them. And he goes, well, try them on. I said, okay. Put my foot, raised up the jeans. I go, um, Lee, my, my foot won't go in there. He goes, yes, it will. 
He was really pushing. I go, okay. He goes, all right, put the other one on. I said, okay. Lee, that, man, that is really, I, I'm not telling you your business. You're the boot maker. I'm the boot wearer. But he goes, just really push your, okay. He goes, okay, now walk around in them. I took a few tentative steps in his shop. And I, I'm, I'm going, oh, man, Lee, I love the way they look. Inside, I'm thinking, these things hurt. <laughs> and, and so I told him, I said, Lee, man, I love them. They look great. They've got the church's logo on them. Thank you so much. I go, and they're, they're a little snug. Inside, I'm going, they are way tight. <laughs> Lee never batted an eye. He and Carlin smiled at each other. He's such a gentleman. And he said it this way. He goes, he goes Matt, this is the first pair of boots you have ever owned that were made for your foot. He said, when mass boot makers, make, they have to make them to fit a lot of different kinds of feet, so they kind of they get very general. He goes, this pair of boots was made for your foot. Now, it is a little bit tight right now, but after you've walked around in these boots for a, a few days, a few weeks, you're going to start to notice the boot cooperating with your foot. And after a while, it's going to be the best feeling shoe in your closet. So I said, Okay, Leah, man, I, I trust you. I, 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 you know, wrote him the final check and walked out. I got home, and Julie goes, well, what'd you think? I go, they're tight. <laughs> she goes, they're tight. Much as we pay for those boots, they shouldn't be tight. And I said, and I went through the whole thing. I told her, and so I started to trust the bootmaker, and, and I walked around in them, and, and man, at first they were really tight. But over a few days and weeks, months, started to notice, wait a minute, that, that leather is kind of starting to mold right around my foot. I started to notice that when I walked in those things, they, it, it kind of landed right where my foot naturally lands. I kind of walk on the outside of my feet a little bit, and and you kind of started to notice the wear on the soles. And I discovered that the bootmaker knew exactly what he was talking about. These boots were made exactly for my feet. When you begin to walk around in the identity God has called you to, he created you for, it's probable, not possible, probable that it may feel a little tight at first. It, it, there, there may be some things that you can't, whoa, I've never, never experienced that sensation when I'm walking before. It's because you're now walking with God. It's because now you're beginning to cooperate with the Holy Spirit of God, and the Holy Spirit of God is beginning to shape around and mold your personality to the character and personality of God. And, and as that happens, you begin to notice, whoa, I'm, I'm stepping into more of who God created me to be than I've ever known or ever experienced. I'm starting to realize that God's made me for something better than I've ever had, I've ever known. And so I'm, I'm gonna trust the me maker. I, I'm gonna trust the one who made me. I'm gonna trust the one who is shaping me. I'm gonna trust the one who is calling me to his purposes. In the book of Ephesians, 
chapter 2. The Bible says this about you, about me in Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 10. This is a verse that we ought to make that ought to be seared into our hearts and our minds. It needs to be a part of the fiber of who we are. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are Christ's masterpiece. When you come to faith in Christ, when you choose to trust him more than you trust yourself, more than you trust the world, you begin to radiate the beauty and the power that he created you for. But you, you got to walk around in it. it it's, not, it's not a masterpiece to be hung on the wall. It's a masterpiece to walk in the world. You were created as a masterpiece. In Christ Jesus made new every desire, every thought, every word, every action made new in Christ. The Bible says that we are to put on Christ Jesus. We're to wear him around. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I just have to ask you this question. Have you? Have you chosen to follow Christ? To walk around in this relationship with Him? If the answer is no, or I don't know, then as a church, we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now, to respond to his grace initiative. Just silently right where you are, pray. Just talk to God from your heart to his silently and say something like this, Jesus, I need you. I want my identity to be found in you. I want to step into exactly who you have created, who you are calling me to be. And so I confess my sin. I confess my sin in order to receive and claim and accept your forgiveness. And I will follow you from this moment forward. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. If you would just remain with your heads bowed for a moment. If that was your prayer, this is the biggest moment of your life. And as a church, we have the privilege, we have the responsibility of helping with the moments that follow. And so the best way to do that is if you would just let us know, if you don't mind, just let us know that you prayed that prayer. You began that relationship with Christ. You can use the QR code that's in the seat back in front of you, or if you're on the front row, it's under your seat. 
If you're online, there's a place for you to indicate there as well. But just let us know through that card. And what that does is just start a, a dialogue, a conversation. And that conversation is for you. It's, it'll proceed at whatever pace works for you. Second thing, if that was your prayers, our heads are bowed and eyes are closed for just another moment, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high. Your hand in the air is a powerful statement physically of the commitment spiritually that you just made. And our family tradition around here is that you go ahead and put your hands down, but we're gonna put our hands together. As we tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.